African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. You're listening to us right here on our shortwave service as usual on the sh- uh, shortwave uh, 31 meter band to Southern Africa, frequency 9625 kilohertz. And also we're on DSTV as well on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Our website is www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today I'm excited about today's uh, story because uh, really it is very interesting to see the the trends that are happening in terms of social media but it's interesting now that social media has become an alternative source of power for commentary for citizens and not only a pushback from just political issues but also from uh, social context we're seeing that social media when it comes especially to uh, twitter has become a central uh, instrument in terms of it being uh, a way for people to push back some of the uh, commentary that maybe may be seen as mainstream and before people couldn't have actually have a lash back at but we know the power of social media was first noticeable as a social pushback tool during the Arab Spring uprisings against Hosni Mubarak's 30 year old reign as it was used to express solidarity for public demonstrations in Cairo and Alexandria this was the moment we saw how powerful social media is thereafter we've seen this particular tool of uh, social media becoming one that's a uh, very alternative uh, tool in various social movements on uh, various countries uh, on the African continent. For example, in South Africa, we saw uh, the Twitter and Facebook playing a huge role uh, during the Fees Must Fall uh, campaign uh, where students were actually pioneering that particular movement. They didn't have mainstream media at the time, but social media was very central. And now recently, we're seeing also in countries such as Kenya, we're seeing there's a big conversation around how uh, fake news is utilized on social media on in, in general elections. There's been studies that have been released that are saying that people are actually concerned about the high levels of fake news that they're seeing in elections there. So there are trends like that in the Gambia as well. There was a social media element to uh, that particular change in governance in that particular country. To, to speak about just the trends that we're seeing uh, is Yavi Mudarai, one of my favorite uh, social media analysts and uh, uh, trans experts. Yavi, it's great having you back on the line. It's it's always good speaking to you, and we'll bring our other guests just later on the program. Yeah, it's interesting to see just generally how social media has become even more social now, but not necessarily just uh, amongst citizens themselves. But there's almost a pushback and almost a cheeky response to Celebrityville, and also we're seeing that you know even politicians are held accountable for some of the statements they're making. I know that the latest thing in South Africa, the police minister Figilimbalula was. Ro- 
roasted in South Africa for some of his Twitter antics. It's not the first time that we've seen this. We've seen it with <laughs> other politicians such as Helen Ziller. And uh, some of it is very humorous, but it's interesting to see this engagement happening online, especially with very powerful uh, authorities. No, absolutely, Benjamin. Thank you. And thank you for saying I'm one of your favorites. So <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet that out, actually. Um, but yes, but yes, you know, the, the world is changing, you know, and I'm saying something that's obviously a misnomer, but the world is changing and our need to be able to, to connect um, while we are doing other things, so to speak, has been probably the reason behind social media success. So, you know, we're able to engage in conversation while sitting in meetings or sitting at mm-hmm. home by ourselves or et cetera, et cetera, whereas prior the world before social media meant that we needed to attend gatherings or pick up the phone or send sure. an email. Um, that was our way of communication. and. Generally, it took a lot longer to be able to connect and engage. So the world of social media, just from a general perspective, has allowed us to be able to connect human to human via technology in a particular way that means that information flows in real time. Mm. And because of the context of that, it allows us to be able to then engage in conversations that otherwise would have taken a lot longer. Um, And because it's taken, you know, because it, Mm. it happens in real time, there's a lot more engagement that happened. So, you know, take that context now and place it in the world of politics um, as South Africa and generally other parts of Africa and the world. Because if you look at, um, you know, if we have to run a parallel from an African perspective versus mm. the U.S., um, we're, we're seeing a Twitter presidency in terms of Trump. So we bring it back home and then we have, as you said, the likes of a Bikile Mbulula, the likes of a Gigaba. Um, Zulu, um, you know, and there's more that engage people in conversation via this tool where they get immediate responses, immediate feedback. Um, they're able to be tagged in other people's conversations. Mm, mm. So they are aware of what's going on, and that awareness leads to other things, hopefully positive solutions, but yeah. yes, it leads to other things. You know, I'm also interested in just what we've seen in terms of what's noticeable. I know that the power of the social media became almost an academic adventure when uh, we saw what happened with the Arab Spring and how pe- people were utilizing Facebook uh, in a very huge way in in Egypt, especially in terms of the removal of Hosni Mubarak. We know the, the Arab Spring was just mm. not limited even to Egypt. It moved. It was even in Tunisia where you saw the same dynamics of how um, social media became this political tool. And later on, we've also seen now that even governments have responded in the way they utilize social media. It's almost like uh, even now we're seeing in various campaigns in on the African continent that even politicians are starting to embrace social media as a norm uh, for even their campaigning processes, which was... Uh, uh, 10 years ago, even five years ago, it was not happening. Well, exactly. And I mean, don't even go back to five years ago. If we look at what happened um, in the last municipal elections, so not even general, but municipal elections in um, uh, August last year, is that 
you know, it. I remember sitting on from an ENCA perspective. Mm, I remember you were very often there and you had to be there as a social <laughs> expert. And it was interesting seeing you there, Avi, because you almost became central of the political conversation as a, as a social media analyst. And that's exactly it, because what we would then do is, um, and I'm not drawing a parallel again, but what we would then do is we would look at the, the stats um, from the research houses that were telling us things from people on the ground from a physical perspective, we would then compare it analytically to what's happening digitally and online in terms of those conversations. And the one thing that I have to say to you is that interestingly enough, when we compared the stats in terms of the online conversations, you know, in terms of sentiment, whether it be negative or positive, mm. um, and surveys and polls that were going out and all of that, and this is not being driven necessarily by the political parties, I need to say that, sure. um, was that this is a direct correlation. So, you know, it may have been off, been off by a couple of percentages, sure. and, you know, not 10%, but like 3 or 4%. And that shows the power of social media's conversations and what it can say or what direction it can take a particular conversation. And a particular conversation leads there, whether we like it or not. We are human beings, Benjamin. So... Whether we like it or not, it, it does certainly influence um, the way we think about certain things, you know. So we may disagree with, um, you know, uh, let, let's talk about Makozi Koza. Mm, um, mm. We may disagree or agree, whatever our stance is on it at this point in time. But then you look at other people's conversations and what is going on and you go, oh, you know, I never really <laughs> thought about yeah, it like that. Uh, maybe, the, maybe, maybe, you know, so somebody brings in a new aspect sure. or a new angle. So because these conversations are literally not further away from us than our own hands being the mobile device, we are having the ability to influence ourselves with information on a daily basis at a very regular uh, um, consistency, mm. whereas before we waited for the news, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to say one more thing before you, before you move on to the next statement, is that when we look at it from that perspective, we then look at it in terms of fake news. Mm. So where does fake news then play a part in influencing what we think about anything, whether mm. it be mm. politics, whether it be the brands or the, you know, the products that we buy, or just about, you know, our cousins or sisters <laughs> or whatever the case is. So just our processes, um, you know, our brains don't change, but the stimuli to the brain changes. So what are those stimuli that is provided in a social media environment that is literally at the touch of a button, you know? So... So, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating, Yavi. I'm going to come back to you. I know that now we've been joined by Dr. Oh. Musa Wankosi Ndlovu, who's a senior lecturer in media studies at the universities of Cape Town. I'd love to hear uh, Dr. Ndlovu's views on the changing landscape of social media as a, as a tool of uh, social commentary, not only social commentary, but almost as a social citizenry participation in, in social conversations. And it's also interesting to see how also the users of social media also be become uh, a central because media is almost led now mainstream media is almost led by the conversations that are, are taking place by ordinary people they no longer it's no longer as reading the newspapers first then we respond to them it's almost like the media is now responding to social commentators in social media black twitter is also another phenomenon that seems to be taking over our uh, social commentaries in terms of the mainstream media so we'll come back to these interesting conversations and views uh, with Yavi Mudarai and Dr. Musawin in Klovu, uh, who's joining us now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back.
Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Remember, you can interact with us on our social media at Channel Africa One or at uh, African Dialogue. That is our Twitter handle. You can also uh, go to our Facebook page uh, there, which is titled Channel Africa. Let me come to you, Dr. Musuwen Gosengrove. I know you joined us later in our program, but it's very interesting to see where social media is currently. I want to speak from a political perspective, and it's something that has been interesting for me especially because I've been following some of the issues that have been taking place in a country such as Kenya. There's a huge conversation happening right now in Kenya's social uh, media. Uh, When it comes to the elections currently, there's a lot of conversations around the fact that there's a lot of use of fake news during uh, the campaigning seasons, which is uh, uh, utilized or disseminated uh, through uh, social media in itself. But also there's another interesting story uh, that came out very recently and uh, probably like three days ago where a striking toxin campaign ad was unleashed online in Kenya just weeks before national elections and some people say it's a potentially explosive move in a country where politics and ethnicity are closely aligned. There was a, a 90 second video shot in a moody monochrome uh, presented at this uh, atopia in which Rayla Odinga, the leading opposition a candidate, wins the August vote and plunges the nation into a violent and inept dictatorship. I've never seen this video but every time i read about this it's very interesting for me to see how social media can actually the smallest things can actually really really get people going from a political perspective i know that even when you look at an example of donald trump for the likes where his uh, online ranting is more kind of consistent than him actually going and having a press conference he rants more on twitter than he calls a press conference dr Lovu. um uh, good day to you and to your listeners um, and my colleague there. Uh, what is happening here is that um, people have always had something to say. That's mm, one. Mm. Two, lies have always been there. Mm. What is changing is basically the technology through which communication is happening. So, so uh, people have always had politi- um, political opinion to express. What is changing are the platforms, yeah. the, the technologies through which this happens. Where, for example, the, the lie will have spread to fewer people. What social media does and what the technology, which is new, does is that it allows it to go way beyond borders of just a fewer people and it goes to a global public space, if we were to call it that. 
Mm, but what does that do in terms of the nature and the credibility of uh, the news agenda? Because we see that also Twitter seems to be also driving a lot of uh, news content for mainstream media, as I was highlighting b- b- before the break, uh, Dr. Ndlovu. So it's no longer necessarily journalists going out on the field and getting a story and getting back into the, uh, the newsroom and reporting, but sometimes it's actually us staying on Twitter and finding out what are the trends happening on Twitter, that itself becomes a news item. On the one hand, you have just bad journalism. On the, the second thing is that you also have what newsrooms are going through, that most of them do not have money to allow journalists to go on the field to investigate stories. You have seen over time a decline in investigative journalism. So what some of the journalists will do is basically write about what people are talking about. So the story that will have been part of fake news or it will have been fake news, it end up being the real, in inverted commas, story that is being talked about. Mm. But the foundation of it is fake news. Mm. Now the problem here is that you are allowing a story that in and of itself has been fake news to shape the public discourse. Mm. Mm. And given that the media platforms are becoming fewer in the sense that um, you can have one media house owning five newspapers and sharing stories, that particular story may appear in five newspapers. And then it ends up with a profile and people thinking that this is really something worth talking about mm. and this is something that is really important. Mm. There is an impact on, uh, on public discourse that is caused by fake news. Mm. If you want to look at the example, right now you and I are talking about fake news. <laughs> That's a good example, Dr. Njovi. Let me bring it to you, Yavi, in terms of the fact that ordinary citizens don't understand really the power of content and the nature of content. And sometimes there's fake news that takes on uh, becoming the news item itself, as was highlighted by Dr. Njovi. But also you're having also this new phenomenon amongst fake news where you have this meme culture. And meme culture, the memes themselves also become a news item as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's take a step back, uh, Benjamin, and look at the, the phenomenon of fake news for a second in terms of why sure. it started. So fake news started literally because of our, and I'm speaking now globally from a human perspective, sure. is um, it started with our ability to want um, scandal, you know, for us to be able to understand. We need to have scandal in our lives, you know, to make ourselves entertained or yeah, feel better sure. or whatever the case is. So somebody, you know, obviously came up with this, 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 and a psychological understanding of a human being's um, desire to, to, to always look at things that are scandalous in inverted commas, and we can find out the words for it that I'm sure Professor Noble would find better words for. But um, it was a marketing exercise. It was the, it was a, it was an exercise to be able to sell. Um, websites and inverted commas for advertising purposes, so that they could prove that there was so much traffic to their websites. So essentially, that is the, the, the introduction of fake news into our world, which has obviously turned the media and journalism world upside down because 
we're now in a stage where I tweeted out something yesterday, um, something about Barack Obama, and I won't go into the detail of that sure. for, you know, for, the, for, the, for mm. the length of this, this conversation. Mm. But, you know, we're living in a world with fake news. So whether it exists or whether it doesn't exist is now no longer the question. Uh-huh. And, you know, the fact that it exists is something we need to deal with. It's not going to go away. It's only going to get worse. So the question then becomes is how do we get the public, the youth and eyes of the world, to be able to discern um, fake news from credible news? Mm-hmm. And therein lies the, the analysis in that, and obviously I'm speaking now for myself in terms of what I do on a daily basis sure. in my business, yeah. and that is, you know, reputation management. So if I had to look at that video from Barack Obama yesterday, my initial instinct as a human being is, oh, this is fake news. I didn't even need to look to see where it came from. I knew instantly. And that positioning, psychological positioning, comes from the fact that his reputation built up over a period of time, stands its ground. Mm. And when you look at something like this, you know instantly, no, this can't be. And even if you doubted it, you would then check one, one or two things and you'd be able to figure it out. So now we come back to the political agenda in South Africa, or even from a corporate perspective, and it becomes a case of reputation management now becomes a risk factor. It needs to go on the risk and governance side of of the business of things, because if we are not managing our reputations over a long period of time, whether that crisis hits, whether it be from a celebrity, whether it be from a big brand, whether it be from a political personality, all of these things now need to be start looked being start to look at in a look at in a very very different way, um, and we need to understand that our reputation management now becomes mm-hmm. either an asset or a liability, and it needs to be measured as such very very strategically. Wow, that's interesting, and also the meme culture. I want to get your thoughts on that, Yavi, uh, uh, because that seems to be something that's also kind of new, not really new, but it's it's really becoming frequent now. So it goes back to my initial um, response to you around the scandal. <laughs> um, you know, if we look at the world, the way we live in, and, and I've got a, I've got a hobby um, aside from my daily life, and that is, um, I love the, the the existentialism aspect of life, and it fits sure. me very well with my social media angle. Sure. In that, why do people do what they do? Why do people behave the way that they do? Why do people, you know, just do things that they do. And the the issue comes down to is that the world is changing. So why is the world changing? We are seeing the world moving in a very different direction, and we can carry on about how the world is changing in five different angles. But in this particular case, we're talking about humanity. And if we look at it from that perspective, we are so so obsessed with reality. Um, The Kardashians are, you know, say what you want to about them, but... They have made their billions based on the fact that they show the world they realize in inverted commas, because we all know it's not necessarily but That is what they have <laughs> built their brand on. Sure. So we are so we are so looking for as humans, we are so looking forward to understanding and there's a very particular word that I use when I deal with social media strategy mm-hmm. and that is authenticity. Mm-hmm. We are in desperate need for authenticity. So when we see this mean culture 
we believe that, oh, there must be something wrong with this person because we want to identify our inequalities, our weaknesses, mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. our own issues and negativity that's happening in our lives to be able to deal with it mm-hmm. from a different perspective. So if we can show or, or <laughs> climb on the bandwagon from a mean perspective, and social media allows us to do that so mm-hmm. easily, you know, it's at the touch of a button, a couple of clicks. Um, I know you want to ask a different question, but remind me just now to talk about the aspect of anonymity in uh, the world of meanness uh, from a social media perspective great. because that then presents the angle of how do we feel it's okay? Mm. You know, the trolling, the all of that. How do we feel that it's okay? So that becomes the key when we, you know, when I've understood it from an academic level, mm. why, where does this come from? Why would people find it so easy to troll, you know, to yeah. use that word? Why? And the, the why comes from one word, the perception, <laughs> which is our reality, of anonymity. Yeah, I don't think that I was actually hard-skinned enough to continue blogging because of the trollers. I just gave up blogging. I'm like, I can't do this anymore just because of the responses some of my blogs had. I was just, I, I, my heart was not hard enough to handle some of those things those trollers have Absolutely. to say. <laughs> but I'll come back to you and Dr. Nglovo. We're listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective. We're looking at social media trends, especially to how you and I utilize social media and really looking at the current trends that we're seeing from a political perspective, from a social perspective, but more especially, what is behind the way we utilize our social media? Give us your thoughts on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. I'm going to take a quick break. It's 11.32 Central African time. We'll be back after this. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. You're listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. Thank you for being with me, Benjamin Mushatam, on this one-hour program from Monday to Thursday where we bring you in experts uh, to look at the big conversations on the African continent. Well, we're looking at social media right now. We know it's very central when it comes to uh, citizen participation in governance. We know there's a lot of conversations happening on the African continent on this regard. I mean, there's a couple of stories that I have internally here that we've been looking at here at Channel Africa. I've got the story here 
four South Sudanese news websites and blogs that have been partially blog, uh, blocked. And uh, this was actually happening with the government crackdown on independent media. Radio Tamajul, a Dutch-backed radio station and website, announced on its Twitter account that it had been blocked in South Sudan. So we see these trends happening where uh, social media does have that kind of role. And there is also some in some countries a pushback from governments. We see also saw an expression happening in Kenya where activists and ordinary people in Kenya have expressed mixed reactions uh, on the government's threat to shut down the social media uh, during the uh, general elections. Everyone is saying, hey, that shouldn't be happening. Uh, we want an open election and uh, social media should be part of that particular process. Well, let me come back to uh, uh, Dr. Musawinko Sindlovu, who's the senior lecturer at Media Studies of the University of Cape Town. I also have Yavi Mudarai, who's a social media analyst and a trends expert. But Dr. Nlovu, let's uh, uh, look at uh, just uh, uh, the, the way that we can actually harness uh, a social media in a more productive way. I know it can become a meme space where we, we, we're really lashing out at other people. Uh, Yavi Mudara was talking about the trollers, which are those anonymous uh, uh, commentators on social media that are very, very harsh and they can have racist commentary and some of them are very much blatantly uh, right-wing. Uh, your thoughts around um, how actually uh, social media can be used progressively and should we have a moderation of social media or should we just let it be as it is a free-for-all space? The question is, if you say moderation and control, then the next question becomes control and moderation by whom? Yeah, yeah. Um, because would it be the companies that own uh, various media, social media platforms? Would it be government? And then that becomes a problem because it can hamper and an impact on the freedom of speech. There are attempts to try and not necessarily moderate, but control social media. Sure. It's just that the danger here, it, it comes close to hampering the, the freedom of speech. Everyone has a right to express themselves the way they want to express themselves. Now, the problem is that when they say things that are homophobic and things that are racist and etc. and sexist, what do we do with those? Mm. And then it, in, then it falls on the social media companies to really deal with um, that particular kind of content because it is not a content that I think it is wanted out there. Mm. But any other view should really exist on social media. It is not necessarily a platform that will require everyone to be polite. Mm. But I fully agree with both of you and uh, my fellow panelists that you have a great deal of meanness there and you have a great deal of insults mm. and all of the things that are not necessarily constructive. Mm. But I would be very worried if we allow governments to move into that space and start controlling people's views, mm. Mm. perspectives and ideologies. Mm. That becomes, you know, if you look recently at what um, Facebook has tried to do um, is try and regulate what gets said mm. in um, their platforms. And you have people here 
communicating across the world in different languages, etc. It's not an easy thing to really do, but there should be an expectation that when people incite violence and when people say things that are sexist and mm-hmm. things that are racist, etc., and that particular kind of content gets removed at least in the next 24 hours or in the next 48 hours. Mm. But Mm. it has to be looked at objectively. Mm. And um, there shouldn't be a a way that of just controlling different ideologies that do not suit our way of looking at the world. Mm. You have your thoughts on the trollers and those anonymous mean personalities on social media. (laughs) I can't stand those guys. I had to kind of end my blocking desires because I was like, these guys are just uh, very, very hectic. So, um, you know, I said to you, remind me. So obviously this is where, um, you know, our, our analysis and our study of why. Um, and it comes down to anonymity. So there's not all of it. So let me put that into context. Mm. So when we look at the anonymity or the perceived anonymity, we're sitting at home. Um, we're either sitting, having dinner, watching TV, um, you know, phones in our hands, we pick up a comment, we're like, ah, oh, you know, and human beings are, are you know, immature, mature, uh, responsive, sure. non-responsive, you know, we have all different kinds of emotions. Those are uncontrollable from mm. a, from a, you can't control mm. what people say about you and to you. You can only control your response kind of a thing like sure, you sure. that many years ago, mm. but um, so people feel a need to be able to share their views, and people feel that they are justified in being able to share their views. Not everyone, but some of us. Mm-hmm. And when we are sitting behind, you know, we're sitting alone in our room, or we're sitting alone in the lounge, or we're sitting with people that we are comfortable with, so our families, our friends, or whatever the case is, and we see something that really grates us, you know, it's just against what uh, we believe in, based on my, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like using myself hypothetically now, based on my views of the world, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the topic may be. And, you know, I'm against this. And because we're sitting with the phone, we don't have an understanding of, and this has happened so many times that you can ask people why they would have done it, and they would be like, it just felt okay at the time to be able to do it. And it's because that that, that, that undeniable feeling of, ah, I'm not standing in front of, Mm. you know, a thousand people and saying this. I'm sitting in my chair, comfort, you know, my comfort zone, and I uh, feel I can say it. So it's, it's the same thing when people, you know, we're very sports mad nations. Mm. And they would sit in their lounges and swear the coach and swear this one, <laughs> swear the players. But if they had to go and speak to that player face to face and tell him how he stuffed up on the Bafana Bafana team yeah. in the World Cup or whatever, oh, they wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. So it's mm. exactly the same thing. Is that perceived and that underlying unconscious understanding of... I am actually not alone. Uh, when I make a comment, there are a thousand people that are reading this. Yeah, I mean, and that, the person you know, viewing it. Uh, so, so the question is, Benjamin, you know, to find to to, to, to close it from my side uh, is, um, if you wouldn't say it to the person in real life, don't say it. And that trolling, you know, is never going to stop. Unfortunately, it's just going to get worse as we believe our anonymity 
more and more is invested mm. in, in, in that. I remember that story, uh, Dr. Tandlovu, as um, Yavi is speaking there when uh, the Miss South Africa was in that uh, fiasco on Twitter about the fact that she was wearing a glove when she was handing out food yeah. to some black children. It was, when I saw it, I was like, oh man, are we not taking things a bit too far here and uh, that also became a story in itself the trolling also became a story the meanness of responses on uh, social media became a, a story in itself and i was like why is this even a story people are just being mean here dr Ndlovu. i fully agree with you um the the level of meanness also is just based i mean it's just based on anonymity most of the people who said what they said they would not say it to her directly if they were you know in front of of her then um i, I think just um taking a step back there has always been mean people it's just that the anonymity here in intensifies that particular element mm, mm, mm. yeah and also we make it a news item so i feel like there's also a glorification of this culture dr Luv. because as i said before you have also just uh news organizations that are staffed of content and one two you have as 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 Abby said, we have a changing human behavior, and uh, three, you don't have. Um, I, I've raised this point about um, news organizations not having enough money to investigate stories, mm, mm. and the definition of what a news story is has also changed. What is mm. An issue now is that news organizations, some of them, are far more interested in what interests people sure. and what is interesting mm-hmm. other than what is really enlightening, educational, informative, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. The news value is changing indeed. But it's, the been, news a fant- value is oh, the, it's been a fantastic uh, conversation anal- and with this analysis of looking at uh, social media. I enjoy speaking to both of you. Thank you to Dr. Musawenko Sindlovu, who's a senior lecturer at Media Studies at the University of Cape Town. Yavi Mudarai, keep doing the great work there. I always see you now and then on uh, mainstream media giving us your views on what's happening in terms of social media trends she's a social media analyst and uh, yeah, she's a trend expert thank you both for giving us your time we really appreciate it here on Channel Africa thank you so much well, that takes us to Thank 11. Thank you, Benjamin. And I'll remind <laughs> you that I'm a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely you, yeah, you are, yeah. Bye. Have a good one. Have a good Have one. A good one. <laughs> but hey, that's how we end the show. African Dialogue. Looking at different events in depth. Discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything.